Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I hope your day's been going so well. I think it's been a fantastic day, and it's a Tuesday already, and I know how much you love Tuesdays, as do I love Tuesdays, because we always get to start the day by talking to Rob Bluey, who is the executive editor of The Daily Signal. His ears must have been burning yesterday because I was talking to Mrs. K. Coles-James, and we were singing his praises. I hope you heard it. Rob, welcome to the show. It's great to be back, Bill. Yes, I certainly did. What a terrific interview with uh, with my boss, Heritage Foundation President Kay James. Uh, she's a terrific leader, and I'm so glad that you had that conversation. I thought it was was really uplifting and inspirational. What a great way to start the week. Oh, I agree. Thank you so much. I, you helped me arrange that, so I appreciate your help doing so. All right, let's. Get, I got so many news items I want to cover with you. Would you give me, uh, for starters, an up to speed on what's going on with this? this hearing on the Postal Service. Well, this is certainly something that I think everybody in America is wondering about. And uh, and it's hard to follow because there is so much misinformation out there, Bill. It is uh, it is a full-time job at the Daily Signal. This, it seems straighten people out here. So we've had some great contributions from, from our own staff, including Fred Lucas, our our national affairs correspondent, who who's been keeping a close eye on everything that's uh, that's been taking part, but yes, uh, we had a big hearing on Capitol Hill with the Postmaster General Louis DeJoy. Uh, he testified on Monday before a House committee, and the Democrats, uh, as you might imagine. Uh, generated all sorts of headlines for the different uh, different theories that they wanted to trot forward with the Postal Service. And he was fortunately uh, given the, the opportunity to, uh, to bat down any misinformation. I think one of the most important takeaways from his testimony was just what Americans need to know about mail-in ballots. And, and frankly, these aren't recommendations that have changed all that much from previous elections. The, the Postal Service recommends that if a voter wants to submit a ballot by mail, that they do so at least 15 days before the November 3rd election. Hopefully, they're even allotting themselves more time. And then they uh, get that mail uh, back in, uh, in to the post office within seven days of the election to ensure that it's, it's delivered in time and, uh, and counted. Uh, you know, I've been somebody who's voted absentee, particularly when I was in college and away from home. And, uh, and I know absentee ballot is different than some of the mail-in balloting that we're talking about now. But uh, but some of the charges that have been lodged against the Postal Service uh, about cutting costs and, and trying to disrupt the election are just completely unfounded. And it seems that, uh, that some um, uh, members of Congress are just trying to gin this up uh, as a political opportunity, uh, passing a, a massive uh, spending bill uh, as if we need to, to pile more spending on, which really wouldn't have uh, any kind of positive effect in terms of the reforms that are actually needed by the Postal Service. Mm-hmm. Plus, I heard, Rob, that there was a, a district in New York during the primary that they're still counting ballots from June. 
That's that's right. Yeah, absolutely. We we've had some elections that have uh, that have utilized a, a large number of uh, of mail in ballots, and we see what the delays look like. Uh, this is why I think anybody who is expecting an outcome on the night of November third. Uh, is probably um, you know living in a different era. Uh, this is not going to be a traditional election in that sense. There's going to be a large number of people who are uncomfortable going to their polling place, and therefore will exercise this option. And uh, and that's just going to require, um, as any change does, uh, you know, a, a different in, difference in tabulating the votes. I think we need to realign our expectations that uh, we might not know the winner on November 3rd, November 4th, or even uh, a week out. And I think that's going to be disconcerting for a lot of Americans who expect a kind of like a sports, a sporting match, uh, instantaneous results. You know, right. you, you, uh, you want it at the end of the day, you might not get it. I heard a politician say that, you know, you don't have to risk your life to go vote. But I think, well, so does that apply to going to the grocery store as well? <laughs> right, exactly. There are so many things that that uh, we we've found ways to uh, uh, to live in this new normal. Mm-hmm. Whether that's ma- wearing a mask, uh, practicing social distancing. Although I'll tell you, Bill, I went to the grocery store on Sunday afternoon, and it was quite busy. It was the busiest that I've I've seen it in in months, probably since uh, since before. So I think the the American people are are gaining more confidence. Um, you know, coming out and and figuring out how to do this. Uh, look, I. Um, I remember going to vote in Virginia's primary uh, when when this was uh, starting. Uh, and Virginia still had it. So this was this was early in in the in the pandemic, and there were a large number of people who I think probably stayed away. But yeah, look, we just need to make sure that we're taking those those safety precautions. I plan to vote in person in November, uh, not because I'm I'm being ignorant of what's going on in the world, but because I. I'm going to wash my hands. Uh, you know, I'm going to take all of the measures that I can uh, to ensure that I'm safe. And I feel that uh, in many cases, the, the poll workers, as we've seen, uh, themselves are, are, are doing that. Uh, you know, another thing I want, I want to point out here is that uh, there's a, a great need right now for people to volunteer on Election Day because there are a number of people who, who might be older who just don't feel comfortable serving in that capacity because they may... The, be you know more vulnerable to to um, uh, to COVID nineteen, and so I think you know this is an opportunity for younger Americans to to do their civic duty if if they're able to, particularly if their employer is giving them the day off to go out there and volunteer uh, to be a poll worker and uh, and do what they can to help. Mm-hmm. Rob, last week I think when you were out and we had Hans on, he made a really interesting point that has stuck with me. He wants to make sure that his ballot goes to an election official. I like the way that sounded. Uh, yeah, no, that's uh, that's that's a very good point. I mean, you and I have talked about some of the the challenges and the difficulties with mail in voting, and Hans is uh, certainly an expert on that that topic. Um, look, there are there, there are any number of reasons uh, to I think be suspicious of of the postal service, and uh, frankly, <laughs> I think we've probably all had those experiences where where a letter or something that we've we've sent doesn't get there on time or is delayed or or in some cases, uh, you know, doesn't make it there at all. And so I, that's one of the reasons that personally, I, I feel like I want to go vote in person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, you know, you, yes, we, we do want to ensure that there's no one there doing any, anything mischievous. Uh, and, and hopefully people wouldn't do that. But I, I think we have too many cases of voter fraud in this country, too many convictions uh, of voter fraud. And again, we have maintained this database at the Heritage Foundation 
at heritage.org slash voter fraud um, for your listeners to check out so they can see for themselves uh, what the different types of voter fraud are and uh, and, and how people have have tried to disrupt elections in the past. Mm -hmm. Rob, talk about the 177% increase in crime wave in New York City since June. It's it's really uh, really shocking. I mean, this is this is something that we're seeing uh, in in a city that, in large part, had you know kind of cleaned up its act and uh, and was experiencing a resurgence. And of course, when COVID hit, uh, but even prior to that, uh, you started to see crime increase. So New York, I, I've heard in recent days some New Yorkers say that New York will never be the same. And I think it's a combination not only of what we've seen. Uh, the exodus of New York uh, from a lot of people who just don't feel uh, that it's a safe place to be because of COVID. Remember, a lot of commuting in New York takes place on the subway, uh, which is uh, su- more susceptible than than an automobile, uh, you know, to picking up the virus. But uh, the, the crime, which you're specifically talking about, I think is a reflection of a number of things. I think it's the policies that uh, that you have of Bill de Blasio, the mayor of, of New York, um, who has made some some ill-conceived decisions. But I think you also have a situation where the police have come under attack. Uh, remember, the city council voted to uh, cut nearly a billion dollars, one billion dollars from the NYPD's budget, uh, transferring those funds to, uh, to community development programs instead. Uh, you've seen, uh, you know, shootings increase uh, across dem- demographic groups. Uh, it's, it's really an issue that needs to be addressed. And, and I think, Bill, what we've seen in just this week in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, we need strong law and order uh, in, in this country. We can't have the, the violence and looting that's taking place. The American people uh, don't want that to come to their communities. And when those communities are, are, are ravaged, uh, it, it oftentimes hurts uh, minority business owners and, and, uh, and people who, uh, you know, in some cases are the most um, – the most vulnerable in our society because they don't have uh, a savings and they, they can't necessarily, you know, come back as quickly as others could uh, when their businesses is destroyed, is destroyed. So our heart goes out to those people in New York city who are suffering from the crime crime wave. Uh, 177% increase, as you said, is just uh, unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Star Parker at the daily signal, a daily signal.com wrote an interesting story. I always learn when I go to daily signal.com. So the, uh, so-called affirmatively furthering fair housing rule. That was one I didn't even really know. That was uh, something out of the 1968 Fair Housing Act. Sounds wonderful, but there's a hidden agenda to it, isn't there? Well, the, yeah, and, and Starr has an excellent article, which she goes through, and she she calls it, quote, a brazen left-wing political agenda, um, to use her words. Wow. Uh, you know, there are so many uh, things that came out of the 1960s and the whole Great Society program, um, and this is uh, this is one. It really, uh, you know, it's a it's a war on um, the single family home and and the suburban style of life. Uh, you know, there is there's certainly a, a divide in this country. Uh, there are those who who prefer the urban lifestyle and the, the city living, and then there are those like me who who you know enjoy a, a driveway and a backyard and and the community pool and and that neighborhood. And and let, let's face it, I think that we should respect the individual choices. But for the government to start picking winners and losers. And uh, and to give preference to one over the other is just not the role that I think the government should play. And so, um, you know, there are there are certainly things that uh, that this administration is trying to do. 
uh, to eliminate uh, what they see as an assault on some of these freedoms uh, in, in terms of how Americans want to live their life. And so, uh, yes, there, there are choices that we make uh, in terms of um, the, the decisions about who's in power. And this is, uh, this is a perfect example of one that, that President Trump is taking on. Mm-hmm. Rob Louie is my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal. We're going to take a very short break and be right back with Rob. the Rob Bluey theme song. He's my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Head over to dailysignal.com. Rob, this story really jumped off the page. Uh, A French teacher who recently got fired, and he didn't get fired because his French accent wasn't good enough. (laughs) That's one way to put it. You're absolutely correct. Uh, Fired because he accidentally used the wrong pronoun uh, when addressing a student. And uh, in another case of... uh, 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 I guess you would say cancel culture um, in in some respects, but uh, definitely with a with a transgender twist. Uh, this is one of those stories that uh, the Daily Signal really excels at telling. We um, we we put a focus on documentary storytelling because we feel that so often uh, conservatives don't necessarily uh, focus on that medium as as much as they should, and so we've uh, deliberately built a team uh, to do that. And it's a powerful twelve minute documentary which. I hope your listeners will will check out at dailysignal.com. In this particular case, um, the the French teacher uh, is at West Point High School in uh, in Virginia. Um, As I said, he was fired for not using the pronouns preferred by a transgender student. Um, His name is Peter Vlaming, and uh, we we interviewed uh, the counsel from the Alliance Defending Freedom who's representing him. He's obviously featured, Peter is featured in the video himself. It's a compelling story, and, and, and frankly, the students at the high school rallied to his defense because of what was unfair treatment of, of this, uh, this teacher. And, uh, you know, he did a lot to try to accommodate the student in question. Uh, it really, truly was an accident that he used the wrong pronoun. And the school uh, basically didn't care and took action against him anyways. And so I think it just goes to show some of the consequences of the culture that, that we live in today, if this is what could happen. And, uh, and he's not alone in this regard. There are an increasing number of people who face this. Uh, you didn't get, it, get into this with, uh, with Kay James yesterday, but you, you might recall that it was just last year that uh, Google asked Kay James to serve on an advisory board uh, on artificial intelligence, uh, bringing her expertise and perspective along with some others in the field. And uh, it was because of a tweet that she had about um, the Equality Act, which uh, touches on these issues, that Google was forced to uh, disband the board and uh, and basically cancel the project. And so I think it's really frightening the situation that we live in uh, right now that that a French teacher at a high school or the president of the Heritage Foundation, uh, you know, because... uh, they, they speak out and uh, don't necessarily have the same beliefs because of their religious teachings or whatever it might be, uh, suffer these types of consequences. And I thought it was interesting because it's obviously a French class and he's allowing all of the students to pick new French names. That's right. So That's you, right. Well, you, really, you start from scratch. You, got, you, you have your own f- French name. So there you go. 
Yes, uh, exactly. And that's that's how how the story begins. I mean, and in many cases, uh, the, the teacher, Mr. Vlaming, you know, had uh, had a good relationship with this particular student. And, and that's why I say it, it was truly accidental. I mean, if you're if you're accustomed to using a he or she uh, for so much of somebody's life, I, I imagine that there will be a moment that you may make a mistake. I mean, nobody's nobody's perfect, as we know, Bill. And so in this case, um, it was really unfortunate that the school district took the action that it did. But uh, but it, but, you know, this is there was a prominent uh, legal suit uh, coming from Virginia on this topic. And and as we know, uh, schools sometimes are, are the quickest to cave uh, to, to the politically correct when it comes to to situations like this. Yeah. Now, Rob, I don't I would like. For us to return to the topic of the mail-in election, only because it's, it's still being discussed quite a bit, and I think the president has even suggested that there is the possibility of a, of a redo. Is is that something that would even happen? <laughs> well, uh, you know, it, the, the, yes. Yeah, so there's there's a number of things uh, associated with that. Um, you, you're, you, Trump has uh, suggested that, and um, <laughs> I think it's unlikely. Uh, but uh, you know, it is an, another topic that we've we've covered on the Daily Signal, and in fact, Hans uh, Hans uh, helped us answer this. Look, there are um, there, there are are several challenges to obviously doing that. The pre- the president has also suggested maybe we we have a delay, and and of course, you need Congress's approval to to do such a thing. Um, there, it's never happened uh, with a with a presidential election, um, but you know it's it's not necessarily impossible. I think that we as as Americans should hope that it doesn't come to that. I think that that's why it's really incumbent upon all of us to 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 do our part as much as we can. And one of the things that we rewinding back to the year two thousand, uh, and that was early in my my reporting career. But I remember distinctly uh, the challenges associated with the Bush-Gore election and the daily uh, struggle that, that we seem to find ourselves in going up one, you know, one day you thought it was Bush and the next day you thought it was Gore and then it ultimately had to be decided by the Supreme Court. And, uh, and the challenges associated with that and kind of the emotional turmoil that we as Americans go through without knowing who the winner is. So you can imagine what, uh, what trying to redo it would look like and, uh, and, and certainly how one side, uh, the losing side, would never be satisfied with the outcome. Mm-hmm. Robert um, sent you an article about Virginians that might have to face a mandatory COVID vaccination and will they resist? Now, that's your neck of the woods. What do you think? Yeah, well, and I'm sure Virginia is not going to be the only uh, only place that is attempting to explore this. Um, uh, there's a number of things here. First of all, uh, you know, we don't have we don't yet have a vaccine. We 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 hope and we pray that we will have one uh, for those who who want to get the vaccine and uh, and and take it. Um, you know, there are. Um, there are states do have requirements on children uh, to get vaccines to go to school, public school, for instance, things like polio and measles. So, I mean, there is some precedent for doing it. Now, can the government mandate the entire population to do so? I think this is, uh, again, an, uh, this would be one of those dividing issues between probably Republicans and Democrats. Uh, we've already heard uh, some prominent Democrats say that if the scientists say that we should shut down the country again in January, then uh, they will go with that advice. 
And there are others who believe that it should be more incumbent on the individual choices of, of Americans to make those decisions. Uh, there are, look, there are some Americans who say, you know, I'm going to forego the vacation this year and stay at home because I don't want to expose myself to risk in a hotel or a vacation house or uh, even a restaurant. And uh, and then there you know are other Americans who are willing to to take those risks, and so I'm I'm dodging your question a little bit here, Bill, I because it. I I don't know that I have a great answer for you, other than the fact that I think uh, you know it's it's an important conversation and debate to have, and I think that uh, to the extent that uh, that Americans can can make the right choice uh, themselves, it's always it's always a better position to be in than the government imposing mandates on people. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about another shutdown, I know that was something that Joe Biden had suggested if he was president and the scientists were saying that's what should be done. He would do a massive shutdown. Is that something that you think was going to come back to bite him? I think that I think that for some Americans, they 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 probably feel we still should be more closed uh, than we currently are. Um, Now, I think that most people have have figured out how to how to work, uh, how to live. Um, I think we're still figuring out how to educate our kids uh, because we're going to be experiencing that in, in, a, in a high volume in September when schools go back into session. Um, uh, but in, in many cases, uh, I, I, I think that completely shutting down the country uh, would, would do dramatic harm. Um, I really do. I think that we were able to sustain it the first time because we weren't prepared for it. We didn't have the the, the personal protective equipment. Our mm. our medical institutions weren't necessarily ready for it. I think a lot of them have made adjustments to figure out, you know, how to go about doing it. My kids went to the orthodontist yesterday, for instance, and uh, and you know they had a you know what I would consider a normal a normal visit, you know, with the additional layer of protection that that now comes in the era of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a stark choice, though, Bill. You're absolutely correct about that. Uh, there's there's a big difference between what you're seeing last week presented uh, at one convention versus this week, and uh, and I think that in some cases uh, that will help be a clarifying moment for the American people. Uh, remember, regardless of what you decide to do on November 3rd, the most important thing that you can do is get out there and uh, and make your voice heard. And this is uh, this is an important time to be able to do that. Yeah, Rob, just a couple minutes left. Would you explain to me what pandemic pods are for school? Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, pandemic pods have certainly created their own uh, bit of controversy because it seems that some teachers unions and school administrators uh, don't look fondly on them. And that's because parents have taken things into their own hands and have decided that uh they are, um, you know, going to either hire a, a substitute teacher or somebody who has some educational experience, or maybe a parent themselves is going to, to lead it through a homeschooling type of network, and uh, and educate kids in a way that either supplements or is uh, is completely independent of a public school. And so, um, you know, for those parents who aren't satisfied with the, what the schools are offering, I think it's a great alternative, and we believe strongly in school choice. Uh, and and that's something that they should be able to have the right to do. Well, at the same time, schools, you know, have have uh, <laughs> new competition on their hands, let's say. Yeah. Rob, thank you so much for doing the show. Really a delight to uh, talk to you, and I appreciate uh, your willingness to do so. It's always a great, a great time to talk to you, Bill. Uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you so much. Rob Blue has been my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Head over to DailySignal.com. We'll take a short break and then be joined by Dr. Greg Borgond as we continue our series on ethics. Be right back.
Dr. Greg Borgon is back in studio, and that is his own walk-up music. <laughs> we love that. Music, of course, from the movie Gladiator, in my top three movies of all time. Yeah, mine as well. Yeah. So we've been talking about uh, the value the value of values, yeah. which is powerful, and we've been um, doing this for a couple of weeks, and I think we're going to be able to wrap things up today, but uh, maybe a, a quick uh, review, and then we'll we'll plow ahead. Yeah, what we've been talking about is the significance or the importance of being intentional about determining what we value because every decision we make uh, is based on the values we hold, Mm -hmm. whether we can articulate or describe them or not. And if we're not intentional, as we've talked about in previous time, um, about what we let stand in authority over our beliefs and our values, then the behavior that will ultimately follow will be inconsistent, it'll be incoherent, it'll be be incongruous. And so what we're trying to go ahead and advocate here is there are a number of things we can set on the throne of authority. It could be tradition, it could be some philosophy, some ideology, it could be our heritage, it could be logic, but what we are advocating Um, Bill, is that Jesus and the Word of God sit on that throne. That will condition what we value and the impact those values will have in the decision-making process. So the whole idea is to understand that we've been given a corporate set of values at the moment that we received Christ as Savior and Lord. They're called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They're the values that are on God's heart that mark us apart and set us apart as members of his family that are, in essence, the operational or the Bill of Rights or the operational values that are a part of being a a member of his kingdom and also being a citizen of heaven. And they should set us apart. The more that those values are manifested, the fruit of the Spirit, the greater the impact we will have because in this society— As we've talked about in the past, nobody really cares what you have to say until they observe how you live. And if you live a life of integrity and honor under God's authority, people ultimately want to hear what you have to say, even if they disagree with you. Why? Because they can't get past a life well lived. They can uh, argue with your faith statement. They can argue with your beliefs. But what they can't argue with, Bill, is a life well lived. Mm -hmm. And that begins with setting our values, but just not about ourselves. These are values that we need to impart. This young man that's been meeting with us, uh, for my grandson and I, um, for devotions each Sunday night, God just laid on my heart to be praying for him about what values I would give him. And so when he came over Sunday night and I gave him his brand new Bible, And I wrote in there what his values were, and I said, I believe that God has laid on my heart to give you the values of diligence and discipline. And he was just kind of blown away by it because he knew I gave my grandson Galen those uh, values of goodness and integrity and the impact it's had on him. He never expected I was going to do that for him. Wow. And so when he left, Galen was giddy and came up to the family room and says, Papa, how did you come up with those values? I said, I don't think I did, son. I think the Lord laid them on my heart. He says, they couldn't have been better for him. And then he gave several examples in his life where he saw hints of it in this young guy's life. And he said, Papa, you wouldn't have known that because you don't hang around with him. 
that's what I think is so cool about being a follower of Christ. This is a 19-year-old <laughs> yeah. telling me this. So um, it was it was pretty significant, but I, I really didn't know, and I just felt God laid on my heart uh, that he needed those values. So that's oh. kind of what we're getting into right now and what we'll finish up with today, Bill. Yeah, because every decision you make is going to be based on a value. And that value is established by a belief you hold. Okay. So it's belief, value, behavior. Right. So values um, are being exercised, for instance, when a father or mother or a grandfather or grandmother teaches their children or grandchildren, for instance, the importance of a good work ethic or how to handle money um, or what to believe or how to act. But in most cases, Bill, values are better caught than taught. And kids are very visually tuned. And so they're going to see in your life the values you say you hold. And so the point is, is that we don't always represent the values we verbally uh, uh, present to people around us. But the values that we truly hold will be evident in the behavior that will ensue or will follow from that. So a child or um, uh, you know, a daughter or a son are going to be watching us and to see if those values are real in our life. Because once they see it manifest, it doesn't mean we have to be perfect at it, but we have to be focused on it. We have to be intentional about it. They're going to be caught and we're going to see that we might be able to teach them some things about values, but values are more caught than they are taught. Awesome. All right, so every decision, as we've talked about, Bill, uh, is based on a value that's been established by a belief. So that just we'll just set that right out there. Whether you, again, can articulate them or not, your values form the moral code, actually, that you live by, for good or bad. So there's an absolute link between what you believe, that is, the Greek word for believe is pasteo. It means to trust in, rely on, and cling to. Mm-hmm. So I'm not just talking about mental assertion here. I'm talking about what you truly believe, what you are trusting on, relying on, and clinging to. So there's an absolute link between what you trust in, rely on, and cling to as your belief at the core of your being and what you value. So um, let me just give you some examples of what that looks like. Let's say that you and I had a belief that we are created in the image of God. Well, already we know that the Bible is informing that belief and we've embraced that belief. We are created in the image of God. One of the values that would arise from such a belief will be everyone has value. Mm-hmm. And that should be seen in the way in which we treat everyone. Amen. If we truly value it. Let me give you another example. Love one another. That's a belief that we have. So, the value, a value that could arise from that is a care for strangers. So that should manifest itself in behavior that makes us or that we're seen as hospitable or that we reach out to people that no one else is reaching out to, that we welcome people that are unfamiliar or uh, unique to the situation or new to a new situation. That's how that value will play out. And as a matter of fact, it plays out in the decisions we'll make on who we do engage, who we gather, uh, who, who we uh, gravitate towards. Uh, and in the first one, everyone has value. That should be seen in 
even if people are unlovable. We still value them because mm -hmm. everybody's created in the image of God, even if that spark is hard to see at times. And let me give you a third example. Your faith will be tested. That's a belief. That's what Scripture says. And so that could create a value for perseverance. You already know that that's going to happen. And perseverance is developed by intentionality. It just doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. God just doesn't uh, touch you one day and say, okay, you're going to persevere. Right. That's something that has to be nurtured, just like all of these values have to be nurtured. And then finally, the last example I'd give you, the truth will set you free. Of course, that comes from John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. And so a value that could arise from that is honesty is the best policy. But we're selectively vulnerable. Sometimes it's better that we don't say anything. But when we do something, let it reflect, you know, honesty or mm -hmm. truth. So those are the way that they're kind of, of linked together. Yeah, those are great illustrations, Greg. I, I love those. Um, really powerful. Um, do you ever hear this? And I sometimes will catch the news where there'll be some person who, you know, did some act of criminal activity and they get caught and they, they say, that's not who I am. And I always think, well, but you did it, so it's got to kind of be who you are. Well, it, it absolutely is. Yeah. It, it, in our society, and quite frankly, in our educational system, especially in secular institutions, we've convinced individuals that who we are at the core and what we do are two separate things. That's why we have politicians saying, well, I'm not going to go ahead and, and raise my religious beliefs. I'm going to govern um, differently than what I believe, mm -hmm. so that you don't have to worry that they're going to be infused in how I govern. Well, that's absolutely ludicrous. I agree. There is no way that you can separate what you truly believe and what you truly value from your behavior. Over the course of time, there may be aberrations, there may be things related to uh, a mental imbalance, or there may be uh, medication overload or even drugs that will cause us to act in a certain way. But what we're talking about here, Bill, are trends, are, are examples that over the course of time, indicative of what we truly believe and what we truly value at the core. Okay, let's talk about these values more simply. I know you've done a great job of giving us illustrations. Okay. Let's uh, break it down. All right, first of all, just again to reiterate the definition of a value, it's really the hills you're prepared to die on, the principles you intend to live by. They're the actual filter through which you process your decisions of any consequence. It's actually the character you hope to exhibit. So as important as values are, as values are, it's more important what, again, as we pointed out, what you allow as an authority over your values. What will inform, condition, and shape your values? So one of the most important duties a parent, for instance, or a grandparent can perform is to give their children or grandchildren values to live their lives by. Um, so here are some um, advice I would give about how to do that. First of all, pray often. Lord, and pray something like this. Lord, what values do you want for them that will mark their life? That's kind of what I prayed for for this young man the other night. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, what statement of value do you want attached to their life? Or, Sovereign God, what focus or trajectory do you want their life to take? Because it may very well be that there may not be any hint 
of the values laid on your heart that God wants you to give them because he wants them to grow into it. On other times, there may be evidence in a, in a um, uh, you know, a, a small way that they're there and they need to be bolstered. They need to be stoked. So one of my grandsons, Kieran, I, I gave him values of, of courage and valor, valor, but he was scared of his own shadow when he was young. And God just laid on my heart, those are the values I needed to give him because it was something he had to grow into. And now he's a young man of 19 years old, and every time he comes to visit us at the house when he's done for work during the day on his way home, um, the last thing he says to me as he leaves is, courage and valor, Papa. And he's a courage and valor, son. Mm -hmm. Because it's ever in front of them, because I've been intentional about these values. So, number one, pray often. And it may be that, that somebody in your life, it may be somebody even you're mentoring that doesn't have to be a daughter or a granddaughter, that God will lay on your heart what values to give them. And God will reveal those to you. Number two, assign those values. So though, although not exhausted, there's, a, you know, there's lots of values you could potentially choose from. There's personal values like decency or courage or gratitude or endurance or self-discipline or centeredness or wisdom or even strength. There's spiritual values like devotion, holiness, obedience, prayerfulness, thankfulness, dedication, diligence, mercy would be some examples. If anybody wants a list of values to possibly consider, they can contact me on my heartofwarrior.org. Just leave a message there. I'd be glad to give it to them. Relational values. It's a great list, by the way. Great. Compassion, forgiveness, friendliness, honesty, justice, fairness, selflessness, and equality. How about spiritual fruit? Then we've already mentioned the spiritual fruit. So there are lots of values to choose from. Perseverance, integrity. Galen says goodness and integrity. Braden, my oldest grandson, who's now 22, his was strength and honor. And then Kieran, I've already mentioned, his was courage and valor. And Galen is goodness and integrity. Lachlan is truth and wisdom. And now this young man that's part of the kingdom of God is diligence and discipline. So it's important because it ends up marking your life. Mm-hmm. Now, what I've done to make this significant in their lives is I've embedded them in blessings I wrote for each of them that are on my wall of champions in my home. Anybody comes into my family room, they'll see this wall with all of these, these plaques that are in there that have the blessing I wrote for them and their values embedded in them. Mm-hmm. It isn't to impress people coming in, it's more to remind those that live there what their values are. So anyway, those are some examples of values. I like that. Let's pause right now. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. We're talking about the value of values, which is really a great discussion. You can go to heartofawarrior.org to learn more about Greg. I think there's even a chance you can go get his email address right from there and ask him for this list of beautiful values that he's put together. We'll take a short break and be right back. with Dr. Greg Borgon. His website is heartofawarrior.org. Talking about the value of values. And during the break, Greg, you were mentioning to me how different it's different to be identified as a follower of Christ 
and then to also have values, you know, that you can take action upon that becomes part of your spiritual DNA. Yeah, values, values are always operational, Bill. Okay. You have to be intentional about them because you have to act on them in the same direction over an extended period of time, and then ultimately it will become part of your spiritual DNA, and it moves from being a value to a virtue. So every circumstance, every event, every situation will give you an opportunity to exercise your value. I mean, if you have a value f- for honesty... It may very well be that you're in the line at a at cub and the cashier gives you a change for a 20 when you know you only gave her a 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, now here's an integrity check. Right. And so now you can practice your value of honesty by saying, you know what? I only gave you a 10. I didn't give you a 20. So <clears throat> values are always going to be exercised over the anvil of circumstances, situations, and events that happen to us in the normal course of life and going on our daily activities, or they may be instigated by God himself Mm -hmm. as an integrity check. So here are some questions in the selection process, and you could ask yourself these questions, but let's assume for a minute that you're thinking about somebody that you would love to go ahead and give values to, to honor them and to mark their life. So here are some of the questions you would ask yourself. What are the things they respect so deeply that they tend to be resentful of those who treat them with disrespect? Um, What is it that they treasure so highly that they're irritated when other people don't? That's how you're going to know what people value. Uh, What values are currently evident in their life? Do you see signs of it or hints of it? What values do you intuitively feel need to mark their life? What values resonate with your observations of their behavior? What values describe their character? (coughs) What values distinguish them from others? What values will help them navigate the world around them? So these are good Mm thought-provoking questions because, you know, when you just don't want to be flippant about it. You want to make sure that it marks or that the value that you give them has God's imprimatur or seal of approval. So once you've prayed about it and continue to pray about it, and once you've processed these questions and taken a look at the values, then you want to select informing scripture that will shape and condition and establish those values. So scripture will illuminate the value you've chosen and will inform and condition its outcome. For instance, when I gave the value of integrity to Galen, I gave him the scripture of Psalm 15 verses 1 through 5, which is all about integrity and what it looks like. And so it's a matter of marking that out. As a matter of fact, in those blessings I wrote that are on my wall of champions, those passages, that passage right there on Galen's uh, framed um, blessing is in there. Just so that he understands that a value will take on, it's like beans and chili. It'll take on the flavor of the chili that that it sits in. Mm -hmm. And so the chili we're talking about right here is God's word. Not some, not secular humanism, not somebody else's value of it, because somebody can have the same value, but depending on what informs and conditions, it will determine the quality of outcome it produces. So that's what I'm talking about, is saying selecting, uh, informing scripture. So let me give you a few final suggestions here about values. You yourself, as a listener, um, even taking a look at the fruit of the Spirit, the familial set, the corporate set that you receive in seed form at the moment of your conversion, 
Begin to actively live a value-centered life. Consider those values, whatever they may be, and every decision of consequence you make. Actually see it metaphorically as a filter that you're going to process that decision. And if it violates that value, don't do it or don't decide in that particular direction. So um, in, when you go ahead and live a valued-centered life, you'll model the kind of importance of living that life. Remember, values, again, are not caught or are not uh, taught, but they are caught. So just think again, what are the hills you're prepared to die on? What are the hills you intend to, to bleed on? What are the hills God's not calling you to climb at all? Give values to your children. One way to honor them is not the gifts, physical, material gifts that we give them that may end up losing interest. They may lose interest in them within the 10, 15 minutes, but the gift that will keep giving is the values that you give them as a child or even as a young adult and that you make a, a ceremony of honoring them and, and establishing their values in their life by prayer and observation. For instance, I would suggest you select one or two values that will shape their life and positively monitor or mark their journey. Values that will be encouraged and recognized when they're acted upon. When, As the scripture says, when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. So mark that giving of those values by a special ceremony, a significant event um, that helps them understand the importance of it. Celebrate instances. This is so important. Celebrate instances when these values have been demonstrated. I think I shared with your audience in the past that when I gave these values to these my grandsons, they were very, very young, and at the time it was just a cool way Grandpa or Papa interacted with them because I'd say to them, strength and honor, Braden. He'd say, strength and honor, Papa. But I looked, as I, if you remember me saying this, I looked for an incidence or circumstances that drove those values home so that all of a sudden it moved from just a cool way in which Papa engaged them to a, something of substance. Mm -hmm. And even to this day, Bill, even with Galen, who is the last one at home right now, um, I point out when I see those values demonstrated. And when I see it, um, like even him reaching out to this friend of his that has come to our, our um, devotions is all about goodness because he wanted to share with him what he's learning mm -hmm. because this young man is going to be going away to the National Guard and he's going to need that foundation. And finally, agree on the values you will lead your family by. I would encourage, and I, I, I did actually a workshop at my church for a number of young couples, 30 or 40 young couples, on how to develop a mission statement for their home, which at the heart of it was the values they intend to raise their family by, they intend to uh, refer to as they make decisions that will impact the family, mm -hmm. and had them post them in prominent place in their home. That's how important they are, Bill. Wow, that's powerful. Really, really is a wise idea. You know, I remember going to a couple of uh, bar mitzvahs and thinking, this is a smart idea. Uh, you, <laughs> you take a young man and turn him into an adult, you know, in a ceremony. And you're kind of talking about this in a way where you're, you're trying to make it a, an event where you're marking with your kids or grandkids' lives these beautiful values, values that you pray they go forward with. When Galen was 13, he's now 19, I took him on a fishing trip with a number of adults um, up into Canada. And 
I talked to the guy that led the trip and asked him if it would be okay if we had an event because he was turning, going from 12 to 13. It was going to be a rite of passage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we sat at the dinner table one night. All these men assembled around him, and I reiterated what I had seen and the young man that I had hoped he would become and the transition he was now making from uh, being an adolescent to a teenager at the time. And I underscored his values and what they meant and how I saw them in their life. It was a powerful oh, moment. I bet. And then these these other nine or ten men chimed in about what they had learned about life related to wow. the values I had given him. And Tonight I'll never sometime forget. it was, you know, things that they should have done and they didn't do and the impact it had. And at other times they'd be sharing things that they did do or what they noticed in somebody else. It was a night he will a day he will never forget. Yeah, no doubt. Dr. Greg Borgon has been my guest. Greg, thanks for coming in. Always my enjoy seeing you. Appreciate your teaching and your wisdom. Go to heartofawarrior.org to learn more about Greg and his ministry. And also, I think there's a wonderful list of um, values that he can send you in an email if you so request. That wraps up uh, Hour 1. We've got plenty more to come. Uh, we'll be joined by Mike Horton in Hour 2 to get things started. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.